good to be here with you this morning. Um, thank you, Scott, praise team. It is, excuse me, get this all figured out here sooner or later. It's good to be here this morning. I appreciate Scott, the worship team, and the band, and Matthew Sisson uh, leading us in Philippians 2 this morning, Brent Burroughs, and that song uh, at that moment as they together were setting the trajectory of our hearts heavenward. Uh, as long as we have songs like that and scripture like that and people like you, that there will never be a reason for the stones in Valonia to cry out. Right, church? Well, this week, this week is a big week in our nation. Uh, homes all across America. Thanksgiving will be celebrated in all sorts of ways. And for some of us, it's going to be a simple meal in a small setting, while others of us, we're going to have our house filled with extended relatives Instead of it being kind of a Mac versus PC thing in my house, it's always turkey versus ham and which one we like. So a lot of people, they're hanging out, waiting for the Macy's Thanksgiving parade while others are sitting around to watch the Cowboys game or one of the many others that they have options for uh, that day. And now the retailers all across this great land want your chief end of your Thanksgiving Day to land you in line in front of their stores for the pre-Black Friday sales. But take note, God's Word has a much better deal for you and I today than we could ever get on Black Friday or Cyber Monday. Amen? Turn your Bibles open with me to Psalm 111 today. Psalm 111. This morning, I want to make the case to you that simply being thankful isn't enough. Have you ever noticed that a colorful sunrise will cause people to take out their phone and instantly snap a picture and post it to their preferred social media platform with some sort of caption of reaction? Or vacationers who go to the Grand Canyon or stand before Niagara Falls are speechless when compared to the, to the grand aspect or grand nature of what they are before and they see how small they are in light of it. And then in a moment, the silence is interrupted by some expression of awe and wonder. When we are overcome by greatness, it leads to expressions of glory. Paul makes the case in Romans 1 that this expression of glory can actually be misplaced upon the object of creation rather than the creator who he says is forever blessed. Amen. He also tells us that God's wrath currently abides upon men who see the truth. They see all that God has created, yet they suppress that truth in unrighteousness and refuse to honor him as God or give him thanks. It's one thing to glory in created things, and yet it is another thing to let these things cause you to glory in their creator. It's one thing to be thankful for things, and it's another thing to let your thankfulness turn into thanksgiving and be a vehicle for worship and praise to the one who created these things. And so my desire this morning is that the scripture would stir our hearts to worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no outline this morning in your bulletin, because I only have one point that I want to hammer on the whole time, and it's this. The chief end of thanksgiving is the eternal praise of God. 
It's the eternal praise of God. What better place for us to talk about worship this morning than in the hymn book of Israel? Psalm 111 is actually an acrostic poem. What I mean by that is that following the initial phrase, praise the Lord, all the following 22 lines in the psalm, the first letter of the first word in each of those 22 lines begins with the successive Hebrew letter of their alphabet. In other words, after praise the Lord, it would be as if the first letter of the first word in that line began with the letter A. Then the next line, the first letter of the first word of that began with B and so on. Psalm 112 does exactly the same thing and it goes together with Psalm 111 as a pair. The first psalm of the two and 111 actually places the focus on the greatness and goodness of God. Magnify him for the works he has done, just as our songs have this morning. While the second one, Psalm 112, places the focus on the man who would worship this gloriously good God. So this morning, once again, let's just stand together and listen attentively, attentively with your Bibles open in hand. And let's apply our hearts to worship as I read through Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works and giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we sang at the beginning of this service, 10,000 reasons for our hearts to find, yet we will only scratch the tip of eternity with 10,000 reasons. For your praise endures forever. King David tells us, Lord, in Psalm 146, that you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. So let us not be content this morning with being satisfied by those objects, but rather being satisfied with the giver of them. Lord, forgive us when we are unthankful, when we are ungrateful. But Lord, this morning, please fan the flame of the flickering heart of self-centeredness that we have, fan it into a a flame of white-hot worship for you, Lord. For you alone are worthy today. It's to you that we give all glory, honor, and praise, and we do so in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people together said, Amen. You may be seated. Notice with me as you look at this psalm, We're not going to go verse by verse. We're going to pick it apart, though. And that the psalm begins and ends with praise. First, in the opening verse, we begin with praise the Lord. And then we get down to the end of ten verses, and it closes with his praise endures forever. Or, depending on your translation to him, belongs eternal praise. God's 
praise will not be contained by time. Because it is eternal praise, church. Before the foundation of the world and ever since, God's praise has endured before his throne and will continue to do so all up until the eternal state of God. Check it out. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, he witnessed these six-winged seraphim praising and worshiping the Lord before his throne, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see these six-winged seraphim recognize what they saw in creation was a vehicle for their worship to the one and true living God. And then we have the Apostle John in the book of Revelation as he witnesses the throne room of God looking to the end of time with his very own eyes, hearing with his very own ears, the four living creatures worshiping the Lord saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. God's praise will not be contained by time because it is eternal praise and is not to be outdone by the angels or anyone else. The psalmist launches off in poetic praise, not just calling attention to his great God, but calling us to give praise to this great God. Psalm 111a, praise the Lord. You see, he's not asking us to do something that he is unwilling to do. You cannot call people to follow Jesus in a way that you are not willing to follow. You cannot call them to praise him in a way that you are unwilling to praise. He doesn't merely tell us to hold the praise of the Lord in the secret place of our heart. No, he calls us to stand publicly and let our boast be heard. Look in verse 1b. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. He is unashamed to stand in the company of the upright and in the assembly and let his boast be heard. Wouldn't you agree, though, that this type of willingness to let his, his praise be heard in the company of God's people had been birthed first in the prayer closet. It seems to me that the healthy progression of our praise begins in the prayer closet. It goes public in the church and then penetrates the world. And then this begs the question to us this morning, how can we ever begin to praise our Lord before the sinners when we shy away from it before the saints? Watch with me this morning as an elderly man in London's Hyde Park testifies of Jesus in a crowd of intimidating Muslims. You can make a joke and a laugh, but you cannot take away the name of Jesus. Jesus. Allah is a demon God. It's not a real God. That is a lying God. Listen, Muhammad is a false prophet. Yes, but listen. But you are a false prophet. This Muhammad Ali Jesus is the way. Get the facts real. Do you want the truth or do you want to go to the hell? 
I'm not lying. You're lying. I'm telling you the Bible, the Word of God. Listen. Listen to me. Sorry, Satan is a liar. Listen, 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 listen. But Jesus never lied. Listen. Jesus the Listen! Shut up! That hurt my ear, that did. That's listen. intimidation. Listen. Intimidation. That's all the Muslims do. Maybe when intimidate. Jesus. When we go away, my friend. When we and you day. No. You go and For unto us a child is born. When we and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Government for him and Netanyahu. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. For the mighty God, for the baby that was born for on this earth, for is the mighty God. For 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 and I know that this Jesus is real. You may laugh, you may laugh, you may do all this, but Jesus is real. I'm not a liar. The Bible is the word of God. He is called Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. How do you call Muslims, no, they're not Prince of Peace. They're never they're killing each other. Listen. In Syria, they're killing each other. No! ISIS is no. killing each other. No, you don't. You are doing it. No, you don't. What is it? Jesus, Jesus never killed anyone. Jesus never killed anyone. He died on the cross and grows again from Listen, you can laugh, you can joke, you can say what you like, but demons in hell, I bind them in the name of Jesus. No, I'm not a liar. You're a liar. You're a liar. You're a big liar. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government... Shut up! <laughs> the government shall be upon his shoulder. What's your name? And his name shall be called Wonderful <laughs> Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the, the Prince of Peace. And the that is the Word of God. That is the Word of God. And, the and, the and I tell you this <laughs> Muhammad was never spoken of like that. Jesus was alive before he was born. Kentucky. Oh, my friend, this man's lying. Kentucky. But I want to tell you this. Jesus is the only way. Kentucky. Jesus is the one who died and rose again. You will die and you will go to hell. Kentucky. Every one of you. Every one of you will be lost. Lost! Do you know that? Lost forever! In hell! After one hour, crazy! You, my friend, I'm not crazy. I'm telling you the truth. I'm warning you. I warn you in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, that you are lying. I speak the truth. And I speak the truth according to the Word of God. The Word of God is more powerful than Muhammad 
more powerful than the, the Quran. The Word of God is living. Jesus Christ is real. He tries to make a noise. You will never make Go away. He's not doing it. Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. And the only way to heaven is Jesus Christ. Old donkey, yeah. from old generation English. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to tell you that Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus is the way to heaven. Allah. Any other way will take you to hell. Allah. No matter what religion you are, listen to me. Allah is a dead God, not a living God at all. Allah. I know the living God. You know the dead God. You die with him. <laughs> I speak the truth. You liar. And the truth is real. Liar. Because Jesus suffered and died Allah. on the cross that you might have eternal life. Allah. The way to heaven is through Jesus Allah. Christ. <laughs> Give your life to Jesus. 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 <laughs> I don't know if you feel the tension that I felt, but the question still remains, how will we praise our Lord before sinners when we shy away from it before the saints? If we can't do it in here, what's the likelihood that we will do it out there? Are we willing like the psalmist and like the elderly Christian man in London to stand alone and give public praise to our God. In verse 9, the psalmist gives praise saying, He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. You see, here, this not only looks back to God's redemption for the Hebrew people from the land of Egypt, but it also looks ahead to the redemption of our Lord in salvation today. You see, redemption is a word that was borrowed from the ancient business world. Something would be purchased out of the marketplace, never to be sold there again. Now, this meaning takes on a different value when we apply it to people and to slavery. To redeem a slave was to buy the slave from the slave trade that where he or she would never be sold again there, and they would be set free. The Apostle Peter tells us that this is exactly what Jesus accomplished. For you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The psalmist says that he not only has sent redemption, but that he has ordained his covenant forever. In other words, once redeemed, always redeemed. This unparalleled act of mercy then leads the psalmist to say, Holy and awesome is his name. It's not a simple feeling of heartfelt gratitude, but rather an outburst of worship that testifies to the very character of God. Don't be shy, church. He saved you. And he ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Say it with me. What is his name? Holy and awesome. It's this very act of redemption that moved the old man in London to go beyond his prayer closet to the park. What will it take to move us? He is holy and he is awesome. The psalmist goes on in verse 1 and says that his boast will be made public 
and it will be done so with all his heart. He does not offer half-hearted praise here. Jesus blasted the scribes and the Pharisees for their cold-hearted worship and hypocrisy when he says to them, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. This is not the case with the psalmist here. There is nothing coerced and nothing manufactured about the praise he's offering. He's not doing this simply because others expect it from him or that he seeks the approval of man. The Hebrew language here tells us that he means to give praises to God from his innermost being, the very core of who this man is. It's a deep resolve springing up from the heart of his emotions, his attitudes, his passions, his very understanding, and it's personal. He says, I will give praise, I'll give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. He says he owns this moment, and he will do so with or without God's people. So it's from this man's innermost place of thanksgiving that we begin his journey of poetic praise in verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. So let's work this verse backwards for a moment, and let's begin with the satisfaction of delight. You see, his resolve to give thanks to his Lord with all of his heart is fueled by delight. This is his purest of pleasure that comes from God and his works. This pure delight only drives the psalmist's passion then to study the person and works of God. Pastor and professor Joe Rigney describes this point by saying, Delight leads to study. A lover can recall every feature of his beloved's face. A mother knows every dimple, hair, and birthmark on her baby's body. When we recognize something is full of splendor and majesty, careful attention is no chore. When we are fascinated, when we marvel at some wonder, when our hearts rise with delight and some reality, the natural and unavoidable response is to move further up and further in to seek after the object of our affection, to devote concerted effort to observing, understanding, and evaluating what we love, and then to feel, apply, and express what we've seen. So the psalmist's delight in God causes him to study the works of God. In other words, he ponders them. He, he remembers them. Look at your Bibles at verse 4. We are told there, he has made his wonders to be remembered. Why is that? Because it goes on to remind us, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. When we remember what God has done, it causes our hearts to remember his grace and his compassion. For he has given us what we do not deserve. There are many things, guys, that we are forced to study, to ponder, and to remember that we care nothing about, such as the information for our next semester final. Right, guys? Yeah. But for a music lover, there's no chore in studying music. For the history lover, there's no chore in studying history. For the hunter, there's no chore sitting in the woods hours upon hours. These are things that fill the heart with delight, with great joy and satisfaction because they are so great to the one who admires them. The psalmist, filled with delight, studies the works of God because he too says that these works are great. They're great. How are they great? Well, the Lord's work is great in design. They are great in number. They are great in magnitude. In church, they're great in excellence. 
Which brings us back to the reason he begins this psalm with, praise the Lord. Because we just got to praise him. Why wouldn't we praise him? Why wouldn't we feel a sense of gratitude and it not lead us to praise him? Delight, he says, fuels our study and study fuels our praise. And if great just wasn't a great enough word, the psalmist continues in verse 3 saying, splendid and majestic is his work. Verse 6, he mentions the power of his works. In verse 7, the works of his hands are truth and justice. His works are great because God is, fill in the blank church, his works are great because God is what? He's great. We are at the point in the year, in this wonderful season, when we are covered in pumpkin everything. And I do not complain about that one bit. This weekend, I've already had a uh, pumpkin frozen custard shake. I uh, came home that day not knowing that I was going to have some kind of pumpkin pie cupcakes. And, I mean, even for Pastor Appreciation Week, Carmen Lane, she knows, and she brought up pumpkin crunch to the church to bless us with. I love it. But listen, if I'm the one who makes it, there is nothing good about it. There's nothing good because I'm just not a good cook. If I want it to be good, I just need to get it from someone who knows what they're doing. Like my wife who gets great recipes from Shelly Andrews. That's always good. Let me tell you, the only reason the works of God are great is because they come from a great God. Verse 2. The writer tells us that the works are great because he is. Verse 3. They are splendid and majestic because he is. And his righteousness endures forever. Verse 4. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Verse 5, he has given. Why? Because he is our provider. Verse 6, his works are powerful because he is. Verse 7, his works are truth and justice because he is. His precepts are sure because he is. In verse 8, they are performed in truth and righteousness. Why? Because that's got to get better than that. We're talking about God. They are performed in truth and righteousness. Why? Because he is. Verse 9. Holy and awesome is his name. Christmas is near. And I love seeing the, the joy and the satisfaction that comes across my children's face when they open up their gifts. But what warms my heart even more is when they turn from the object of their joy. And they give me a big old hug and say, thank you, Daddy. Because the object of their satisfaction moved them to a point of thanksgiving where the focus shifted. Listen, we serve an infinite God who deserves infinite praise. And let not your heart be content only with this inward sense of gratitude. But I tell you, lift the dam of your heart, and let the river flow with praise. Our thanksgiving that turns to praise is often a result of us looking back and remembering the great things that God has done. But the psalmist wants you and I to also look to the future. Notice the five forevers here. Verse 3, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 5, he remembers his covenant forever. Verse 8, his precepts are established forever. Verse 9, he commands his covenant forever. Verse 10, his praise endures 
forever. I think that's why John Newton in his final verse in the, amazing, in, in the song Amazing Grace, he says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. 10,000 reasons will only scratch the tip of eternity. 10,000 years will also only scratch the tip of eternity when we praise him. Our holy and awesome and infinite God has done infinitely great things that are deserving of our infinite praise. And so let's just get our practice on right now at the beginning of that time, church. Let me offer one last observation about Psalm 111 as a whole, and then I'll close with one verse. The psalmist mentions himself only two times in first person in the very first verse. But in all ten verses, he mentions the nature of God, his character, and his works nearly 40 times. That's a pretty good ratio when we understand like he understood that it's not about us. It's all about him. It's also rather fitting that we have no clue as to who wrote this psalm. The psalmist remains a nameless man while giving all the glory to God. Shouldn't it be that way with us? That like John the Baptist in John 3.30 said, He must become greater, I must become less. I can't end the sermon any better than Paul concluded Romans 11 after he has marveled over the mind-boggling mercy of God for 11 straight chapters, and it turns his heart to worship at the very end of Romans 11, and he says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. See the cycle? From him and through him and right back to him belong all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So on this day and every day, and yes, even Thanksgiving Day, let your praise go public for Jesus. This is only the beginning, and that's the chief end of worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Psalm 100.